20 questions or 20 minutes, whichever comes first, as long as it's you. This is You Go First. I'm your host, Blair Payton. We have 20 questions, normally in a vase. My guest will draw the first question and we'll go back and forth covering as much ground in 20 minutes. The timer begins after the first question is read. Today, my guest is an old radio professional, a man of God, and my father. That's right. The Ben Payton is making a guest on the season finale of You Go First. Dad, welcome to the show. Thank you, son. I'm honored to be on your show. I can just tell. And you know what? It was so much fun trying to set this up. It took about 30 minutes, but we finally got it going. Internet audio to hear others. Please join audio. Okay, move your, move your phone. All right, well, hang up your other phone. What? So you got your start in radio at the... At age 15. Yeah, at age 15. How did that come about? Well, my father was... Uh, a minister, and he was a radio guy. He got on the radio in 1936, and uh, he just loved radio. When Stu Epperson, who is the uh, president and CEO of Salem Media, got his start, he bought a a station here in town. Actually, he put it on the air. And uh, he came to our house. My dad started to work for him and my dad would have a one hour gospel show at noon every day. Mm-hmm. And he, at age 15, he insisted, I hate to use the word made me go and do his show when he was not available. He said, someday you might want to make this your uh, vocation. Wait a minute. So you would go and do his gospel show. Would you preach? No, no, no. Play records. Then what happened is I fell in love with radio and, you know, you just can't get it out of your blood. You, you love the media, you get involved. And then I had dreams. I used to listen to stations far off, uh, you know, from Chicago, New York, uh, Cleveland. And I would dream about working in those bigger cities. And ultimately that's, you know, that's what happened. So Yeah, because at night you can pick up on AM frequencies, you can pick up stations out of town, right? Yeah, it's called Skywave. You know, like WABC New York 77 was a big top 40 station. And at night, uh, the signal on AM goes straight up and bounces off the ionosphere. And my gosh, it would cover, you know, half the world it seemed like, but I used to listen to uh, Cousin Brucey and Dan Ingram and some of those guys. It was really great. So I'm wearing one of your shirts from one of your many radio stations that you worked at, KO. KO was in Seattle. KO was, I think, the first major market C&W station. And I was working in Cleveland at the time when I got a call they wanted to modernize KO and bring it into the 20th century. What's C&W? Country and Western. So anyway, that's, that's uh, and I don't remember how I got that shirt. It looks like one that I went somewhere and bought and say, can you put this on? Yeah, I don't think this was professionally made. How many radio stations would you say you worked at over the course of your career? Well, in Roanoke, it was... Uh, WKBA, okay. WPXI, okay. 
WROV. Then I went to Winston-Salem, WKBX. Then I went to Richmond, WDRLFM, WEETAM. Then I went to Cleveland, WNCRFM. Then I went to Seattle, KO, K-A-Y-O. Then I went to Chicago and worked for Plow Broadcasting. It was Z104FM. Then I returned to Roanoke and worked for WUEZ. Then I was hired as the manager at WROV. Uh, Then I went back to WUEZ. Then I bought what turned out to be 3WR and later Fox Radio. Wow. So that's like 15 radio stations. Why can't you keep a job? (laughs) Well, when you are so good and so talented, you keep getting these job offers. Okay. So you worked in radio all your life and then you became a preacher. My father passed away and at age 40, I got a call into the ministry and I pastored Calvary Tabernacle and I was the official and unofficial uh, superintendent of the 10 churches that he established in Southern West Virginia and in Virginia. So how did you get this call? Was it by phone? Was it a beeper? (laughs) Oh, God, that's funny. I have to explain it to my audience because it was a call, a spiritual call, if you will. Yeah, that's good. That's the way to describe it. Okay, first of all, walk me through that moment. Because I've heard the story. It happened in the middle of the night, and you wake up, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm meant to be a preacher. I sat up in bed, and your mother said to me, what's wrong? I said, God's making it clear to me what he wants me to do. And she said, oh, my God, no. (laughs) And that was a sentiment she carried on for the rest of her life. What I want to know is, like, did you have a dream? Was it just, like, an overwhelming feeling? Like, can you describe what that call was like? It was an overwhelming um, yes, feeling or, you know, a God moment. You know, I grew up as a PK. And the odd thing about it is I, uh, I went to Don Humble at Peyton Camp meeting. And I said to Don, I said, Don, I'm having trouble distinguishing between the call of family and the call of God in, into the ministry. How do I discern, you know, what's real? And his answer was, you'll know. So I kind of dismissed it at that point. And then when it happened, I knew, you know, I knew this was, this, this was the timing. This was when it was supposed to take place. Do you ever regret picking up that call? Um, the greatest benefit of answering the call was I began a concentrated Uh, focus upon the Bible. And probably I learned more than any of my parishioners or people that listened to me. But it it brought me into a, um, a life of focused concentration about the Word. 
And the things I learned was because I, you know, growing up as a kid, you hear all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I began to realize that you have to learn the culture and the history for which each uh, book was written so that you can kind of understand uh, what's going on because it's a lot different in biblical times than it is now. Mm-hmm. But uh, the key was to figure out what the writer intended, who he was writing to, what they heard him say, and then from that come up with a timeless and universal truth. So much, in my opinion, that we hear today is full of a lot of myths and misinterpretations and uh uh, it's just the way it is. So I, I worked very hard to try to figure out what was real. I don't know whether I answered your question or not. It was such a long answer that I kind of forgot what my question was. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I work in radio and in audio broadcasting is because of you. So it's your fault. Yeah. Because um, at age 12, I was making videos with our VHS camera. I remember yeah. you, you were like, if you're going to make good quality video, the important thing to have is to have great audio because you could have a fantastic video, but if the audio is yeah. great, that degrades the whole thing. Yeah, I recall. Yeah, and you put me on the air at age 12 at your radio and you school. sounded eight. I sounded like Heidi, my sister. <laughs> you did, I remember. Yeah, everyone, well, and it doesn't help that uh, my name is Blair, which is a unisex name. Although at one point in my life, you referred to it as a bisexual name. (laughs) You remember that? We were in the car somewhere. I was like 10 or 11, and you were like, yeah, my son Blair, long pause. Yeah, he's got one of those bisexual names. And I was like, "Mm." (laughs) you remember saying that? Yes, I do. So anyways, you put me on the air at age 12. Why? Because it's a professional radio station. Normally people don't put like a young child on the radio, you know? Well, you were my son and I owned the station. So in that situation, I was like, pardon the expression, don't mean to be, you know, irreverent, but I was God. I could do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, you still have that mentality sometimes. (laughs) You started carrying, you know, one of those huge VHS cameras around mm-hmm. when, when it was almost as big as you were. And you made a lot of videos. Um, and then I told you that if you want good videos, you also have to have good audio. And yeah. I compared it to the two TV stations out of Roanoke. One had great audio and one didn't. And so I put you, I would go down on Saturday to do some paperwork at the radio station. And I put you on the air. For some reason, you went on at 1.15 and uh, the rest is history. Now you're in New York, the number one market in the nation. Well, I still have every single show I did on Saturdays on cassette tape at the house in Roanoke. And the funny part was, it's a religious radio station, but I remember treating it as if it was SNL for radio. I would dictate sketches from SNL and then I would have my friends record it. And then you taught me how to edit and I would put those sketches on the radio between songs about God. So it was an interesting mix, if you will. And you got 
complaints. Yeah, I did. But uh, if they wouldn't give me their names, I would, I didn't count them. Yeah. And everything worked out fine. I mean, yeah, I'm in New York. Most of them are probably dead, so it's a win-win. <laughs> and when you went to New York, you sent out, what, 500 resumes? Oh, God, probably more. I went to a ton of, like, networking events, which those, for the most part, are just kind of pointless because you think you're going to network with other professionals, which you do, but they're also unemployed as well. So it's just a bunch of sad people in a room drinking, talking about how they can't get a job. <laughs> That's mostly what I came to New York to do. And then after sending out a million resumes, I finally got a bite. And here I am. Okay. So we're going to get into the 20 questions. Uh, just about go time. Uh, right. <laughs> so the way it'll work, pick a number between 1 and 20. I'll read the corresponding question. And then we'll okay. try to get through as many questions in 20 minutes as possible. And once I read the first question, that, that's when the uh, timer will begin. Ben Payton, you go first. Number three. Number three. Talk about a time you've been scared for your life. Timer begins now. When I was in high school, mm -hmm. I, w I, had, I got my driver's license at age 15. I was, my dad, this was a 1962 Chrysler, and we drove out to the Cave Spring area because there was five of us, three in a back seat, me and somebody riding shotgun, to meet some girls. Mm -hmm. And so we pulled up and the girls came out and then all of a sudden a guy emerged from uh, behind the bushes with a shotgun and I slammed the uh, gas pedal to the floor and everybody in the car went down and we went speeding out of there. Scared the living bejesus out of us. Wait, why did he come out with a shotgun? Who knows? So anyway... When I got home the next morning, my mother, we had the telephone out in the lobby of the house, lobby, well, you know, entranceway. And she pointed at me to sit down. So I sat down on the steps and she said, that's a phone call, said you were out in the neighborhood speeding. And then I told her the story and she got angry at the, the, the adult for after us with a gun. So Mamaw bought that story? Well, it was true. I'm sure it was true, but it just sounds very suspect. Well. Uh, a time I was scared for my life. Uh, so this is really embarrassing, but I remember in college, I was the only one in the house and I was up late studying for this history exam. And and studying was a bit of a stretch because I would like read half a page and get really sleepy because I'm, I get tired when I read. And every one of my friends was like, let's hang out. And I was like, no, I have to study for this exam tomorrow. And so I was in the house by myself and they came and they started beating on the door at like 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, someone's trying to get in the house. And I remember because you were out of town. So the first person I called was... Uh, Uncle Jack and I woke him up and I was like Uncle Jack he was like is everything okay and I was like well there's someone at the front door and he was like well did you answer it and I was <laughs> like no but they were beating on it really hard and he was like 
oh, okay. So I thought someone was trying to attack me by knocking on the front door. And fun fact, I failed that exam. Okay, uh, next question. Pick a number. Uh, four. Okay, question four. Who was your first kiss? Hmm. My first kiss. Yes, with your mouth. I don't, gosh. My first kiss was probably when I was born. Probably the whole family just kept kissing me because I was the baby and, you know, so cute, and curly hair and stuff. So. That sounds like a cop out. Oh, well, be more specific. Someone that you uh, were romantically uh, linked to. Probably was Phyllis Gibson. Not mom. Oh, no, I didn't meet your mother until... Phyllis was my first real love. Was she the one that signed your yearbook? And then no, 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 no. This goes way back before that. I think my first kiss. I've said it before. I think it was Jillian DeRigi in third grade. But now that I think about it, I think it was our neighbor, Mindy Hammond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was only by force because Heidi, my sister Heidi, was obsessed with having all of her friends do mock weddings. And I was always the groom and I always had to make out with her friends. And uh, well, we see how well that turned out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think Mindy was my first kiss. And you weren't very old. You kissed every girl in the neighborhood. Yeah. Because Heidi liked to be the pastor and she was, y'all were always having weddings. <laughs> Yeah, so. and she would also, too, I remember sometimes she would play the mother of the bride, and she would sing Whitney Houston's Greatest Love of All. I got to get those VHS tapes and post them, because blackmail was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pick good. another question. Uh, number one. Number one. What is your happy place? Well, probably where I am in the studio. Okay. Uh, you uh, insisted that we put a TV in there, too, so we've got the the, the uh, screen for editing from SoundForge. But a lot of times I'll go out there and take me something to drink and play solitaire and watch something on TV. Now, for the people watching this, this is the studio in the house I grew up in. Because that used to be a back yeah. porch. Yeah, it was a screened-in back porch. And I had an office downtown in the 707 building, and I hated it. And so we started looking for a house where I could put in a studio. And when we came to look at this house, we came through into this screened in back porch and the um, beyond the glass is a, like a control room. We've had bands in here, not much, but mm -hmm. you know, and we've had all different configurations, but yeah, I spend a lot of time here. I would say my happy place off the top of my head, it's probably the room I'm in now, my bedroom. I spend the most time, especially in quarantine. Like, this is my office. This is my kitchen. This is where I relax. This is where currently I'm sweating my brains out because I have the air conditioner off because, you know, the audio. <laughs> so, all right, pick another question or another number. 15. Question 15. Who, besides your parents, had the biggest impact on your life? I would say Jack McCoy. Okay, and who's that? Jack McCoy was the national program director for Heftel Broadcasting. That great radio station. One of the greatest was KCBQ in San Diego. 
uh, I had followed Jack. He had decided that he was going to leave Heftel. His main focus was to disapprove, not disapprove, but to prove that Arbitron was full of bull. Mm-hmm. In other Arbitron words, it was ratings. not. Yeah, the ratings. After he did his study, he came out and basically endorsed them. He said, of those ratings statistics, Arbitron's the best. He thought Arbitron put out a, a seven-day diary. He said the only difference he would make is have a one-day diary. That made more sense, easier for the people to recall what they had listened to than a seven-day diary. So I'm at my office in Seattle, and he walked through the front door, and secretary came back and said, Jack McCoy's here. He wants to see you. So I walked out and I said, you know, introduce myself. I said, follow me. I don't know what you're selling, but I'm going to buy it. And I took him back to the uh, general manager, John DeMeo, and I told this story, you know, about what he'd done. And then I looked at him and I said, is that pretty accurate? He said, yes, it is. And what I learned for Jack McCoy was passive music research. We bought his service and we learned how to research the music in such a uh, great way that uh, it really impacted my life, plus learning how to interpret ratings. Uh, I learned a lot of that from the national program director in, in uh, Malwright Broadcasting, which at the time owned Z100 in New York and WHK in Cleveland. But I would say Jack McCoy had the greatest impact uh, on my life as far as you know, broadcasting. I would say for me, like there's a lot of people that have impacted my life and, you know, we got to get through this pretty quickly. We have seven minutes left. So the one that comes to mind, I would say is James Capalonga. He's the one who hired me at Sirius XM. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's the one who basically changed the direction of my life. I came to New York. I took an eight week course at UCB, which is the improv school. And I was like, while I'm doing this course, I'm staying on my friend's couch. I'm going to do all I can to find a job. If I can't find a job, I'll come back to Roanoke and figure it out. And I had the job interview with him the second day I was in New York. And by the weekend, I had the job. All right, pick another number. Number 10. Number 10. How conscious do you think animals are? Well, I think they're pretty aware. Um, I walked into my uh, living room in here mm-hmm. the other day and um, I'm going to go in here and show you. Okay. Um, and there's a great big window here. See, how would I do that? I'll do it like this. Okay. Oh, it's, it's washing out. So it's not too good. But well, through that window stood uh, three deer. Okay. And they all turned and looked at me. Mm-hmm. And so I started taking a picture of them. And then I waved at them. And when I did, they decided to dismiss themselves and head across the yard and out. So I think animals are pretty much aware of what's going on around them. They have a sense of um, survival. You know, they have a, a good awareness. Remember Maggie. Oh, gosh, I loved Maggie. Maggie was our cat that we inherited from, was Billy? Billy was my uncle, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, It's been a while. 
Uh, but yeah, he had a cat. And then when he passed, his wife was like, I, I can't take care of this. So we inherited the cat. She was, I still wish, I, I, I always hoped she would come visit me as a ghost. That's how much I love that cat. Because mm-hmm. she was like a dog. Well, she was named after my mother's nickname. Dad used to call mother often Maggie. And I went over to Billy's. Uh, he was going through cancer and I would go over there and visit him and he had dogs and cats and Maggie would come and sit on the arm of the couch. And I told Billy one time, I said, I don't like cats, but I love Maggie. So that's how we wound up with her. Barbara called and said, would you like Maggie? And of course we did, but Maggie, you know, had a lot of class about her mm-hmm. and I could call her name. I'd be up in the bedroom. As a matter of fact, I said to Josanne, your mother, one time, I said, call Maggie. She said, you do it. She'll come for you. And I, I hollered out, Maggie, Maggie. And in three or four minutes, she kind of, you know, eased her way into the bedroom and up on the bed. And uh, she would come in some mornings and reach out and touch my cheek slightly to wake me up. I know. I that cat. Okay, pick another number. Yeah. Seven. Okay. Here's another deep question, so get ready. Oh. Is there a meaning to life? If so, what is it? You can just give some kind of philosophical answer if you want. If you want to go by the Bible, um, it says that we were created in the image of God. And I think so many people think that's that has to do with how we... We look like God, and you know. But in in the Old Testament, the image of the king in that in that culture in that history, um, I think what it means is that uh, they had signet rings, for example. And you you if you had a signet ring of your master, you know, you could sign documents. You represented him, and I think that's what uh, God intended. He intended us to go forth and be representatives. And um, so, you know, our job is to live life as best we can, to represent him best we can, and to, you know, spread the word. Um, And I think we spread it more by not so much what we say, but what we do and I guess the most important part is love yourself and love others as yourself. Um, that's about the best I can do on that. But I think that's, you don't want to get too complicated. Um, you are who you are. He created you regardless of whatever. Uh, and he loves us and he has provided a way for us when we finish our time here on earth like it i'll say ditto okay pick another number nine okay question nine why are humans so susceptible to magical thinking we have 30 seconds um well i think we're super superstitious um people anyway i mean so much of it from the bible and uh you know we we want 
to uh, believe in supernatural things. And that's been pushed on us. We've been domesticated that way. And I'd say that's the number one point. We were domesticated like a dog and trained to be superstitious. Well done. All right, we got through, I didn't keep count, but we got through a good amount of them. Well, Dad, thank you for, uh, I usually say this, but now I don't want to say it, for coming first. Uh, (laughs) So you have a podcast. Do you want to promote that? Yeah, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do on it. It's called The Joy of Discovery. I put up one of my old sermons um, for this week, and uh, I'm trying to find my way. Like, I like your format here. It's really good. And Blair, I want to be sure and tell you how much I love you and appreciate you. And during the time when your mother was sick, I remember one incident. You came to me and you said, Dad, get out of here. You need a break. And uh, you did a lot of things in helping care for your mother that a young man shouldn't have to do. But I've never forgotten that. I've always appreciated it. Uh, You truly showed your love and set aside any kind of uh, thing that you had to do to help. And I'll never forget that. I love you. I love you, too. But you were supposed you supposed to promote your podcast. Oh, well, I just did. Joy of discovery. (laughs) You really sold it. Guys, this is my last show of the season. I'm going to take a break because my apartment is hot and recording these things is a lot. And you're going Uh, to Chesapeake to see Heidi, aren't you? Yes, I'm going. I'm finally getting out of my apartment that I've been in for 140 years uh, to go quarantine with my sister Heidi for two weeks. So next time you see me, I should have a nice golden burn. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Do you want people to check out your website or? I do high school sports, high school football play-by-play and high school basketball play-by-play. You can get all the details at benpayton.com. Payton is spelled with an E, P E Y T O N. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great summer. Bye.